It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Steve Bell, owner and chief executive officer of Pacific Crest Industries, which most notably includes Belmont Cabinet Company. Belmont is a family-owned cabinet manufacturer located in Sumner, Washington, dedicated to product innovation, functionality, and timeless yet trend-setting styles. The mission of Belmont Cabinets is to leave the world a better place, building integrity, respect, and responsibility as stewards of the community and environment. Steve started his company in his garage in the 70s and built it into a 200-people, $30 million a year maker of high-end cabinets. Then he had to rebuild it again when the high-rise business went away, with the recession and revenue plunged over 60%. His sons are now a key part of the Belmont tradition as it now reaches to almost 300 employees. Steve Bell, welcome into the corner office. Well, thanks for inviting me. Oh, it's great to have you here. I know we spoke a couple of months ago and, you know, we're, we're into year two of the pandemic and, you know, that's kind of hot topic for so many folks talking these days. How are you personally doing and how are your employees and how have you fared through these, uh, these interesting times? Well, last year, uh, April and May were disastrous. For most everyone <laughs> in so many ways. <laughs> the governor of the state of Washington shut down residential yeah. construction and, and that, uh, that hurt us badly. And, All right. But then starting in June, we came back with a vengeance. And right now, we're, our sales are double of what wow. our revenues were last year. Double. So the pent-up demand really is true in your industry, it sounds it's, like. It's crazy. We've wow. never seen anything even close to what we're experiencing right now. But then the supply chain is worldwide is messed yeah. up. We yeah. are... Yeah really struggling with getting product out of Europe, right. Asia, and uh, even domestic products. It, it, and every single vendor that we have is raising prices. So we consequently have to raise prices as well. Right, right. Well, have you been well, though, and, and avoided the, uh, the pandemic and your family and, and friends and employees? Or have you had some, some hits to that as well from a health standpoint? My family's done great. We're, uh, we great. have not had it. Uh, we've had a few employees, but they're isolated cases. They, we haven't had yeah. anything running through the factory per oh, se. Um, but we've had probably a dozen employees that have had it at some right. stage. And uh, but we've been following a lot of protocols and, and 
uh, have, been, have been able to manage it. Yeah. Well, that's great, Steve. Well, I'm so happy to hear that. Well, let's talk about you. I know your, your career spanned over 40 years and gosh, I would love to hear kind of how it all started. Tell, tell me a little about your early years, you know, where you grew up and what your early family life was like. Well, I was raised as a preacher's kid, and so we moved around quite a bit. Uh, um, I, PK. Yeah, PK. I grew, uh, I grew up mostly in Longview, Washington, and okay. then graduated from high school down in Gladstone, Oregon, which is a suburb of Portland. Um, I always had a hankering for business. Uh, my dad thought I would go into the ministry, but I didn't right. feel called to that. I always just felt a calling to be in some kind of business. Yeah. So I came up to Seattle in the early 70s to explore commercial diving. Oh. And so I spent two years in the commercial diving business in Puget Sound uh, until I met my wife to be Carolyn. And then everything changed. <laughs> as, as it does. Well, well, we'll get to that in a moment. Brothers and sisters uh, in the family growing up? I have five siblings. Oh, wow. They all live in the Portland area. My yeah. mother is still alive at nine, oh, 97 and a half years old. Fantastic. My father passed away about 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, was mother involved uh, in, in, in dad's work as well? Or is she focusing mostly on the family? Well, she, she kept my dad in line. <laughs> Everyone needs one of those. <laughs> she was a great mom and, and uh, managed, juggled a lot of balls. She was also a nurse. She is a practicing nurse and, and raised six kids on And I remember my dad during the sixties, he was making about $400 a month as a pastor yeah. and we raised uh, they raised six kids on that so that's incredible yeah great well god god was involved in that did you uh did you come to the um to the church early come to christ early and and you know kind of commit yourself or did that something that happened later in life well i accepted jesus as my savior watching billy graham when i was six years old Cool. <laughs> that's great black and white tv i imagine <laughs> black and white is absolutely <laughs> It didn't, it really didn't become my faith until I was 19 years old. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I remember going to a conference here in Seattle. I didn't want to go, but because it cost $20 and I didn't have that. And a, um, right. an elderly man in my, the church I was attending came up to me and gave me $20 and said, Steve, I'd really like for you to go to this. Oh, wow. And so I had no choice. I had to go. But God used that weekend to hit me with a two by four and said, I, I'm not waiting any longer for you. You belong to yeah. me. And, and, uh, it started a fire burning in me. That's never gone out. Although it has gone down to an ember at times and God <laughs> brings out his billows usually in the form of a crisis <laughs> right, and, right. uh, has to get the flame going again. But, um, I love it. I love it. So at 19, were you a college student then? Yeah, I was in college at Highline Community College. We, I was taking their underseas technology uh, program. Right, right. So I have my AAA degree in underseas technology. It's been wow. very, very useful in the cabinet business. <laughs> what, what attracted you originally to the, uh, the diving? Was it, was it more of a sport and enjoyed doing the diving that led to the commercial aspect of it? Or... Did you kind of see a commercial opportunity as an entrepreneur and decided to learn how to dive? 
<laughs> Which way was it? Well, uh, my buddy got me into scuba diving in yeah. high school, and then he's yeah. the yeah. one who discovered this commercial diving thing. And there was mm. a promise to make a lot of money if you went down on worked on the oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico or the North okay. North Sea of Scotland, and right. um, so I was attracted to that and thought, wow, that'd be a great adventure. So something tells me you didn't go down that road, though. Uh, no, no, I met <laughs> Carolyn and. I fell in love and decided that probably wasn't much of a life for a family. And her father was a home builder. Okay. And so when, after we got married, I went to work for Fred Lang and we, he taught me how to build houses. So, yeah. Yeah. So got started that way. And then, you know, how did you kind of zero in on the cabinet part of the business and how that, you know, came about. Well, our daughter was born in 1976 and okay. Carolyn had been working at Boeing and we wanted to uh, keep her, allow her to stay at home with the baby. And so I asked my father-in-law if I could build cabinets in my garage huh. uh, to make a little bit of extra money. And, and he asked me, well, do you know how to do that? And I said, well, I did have ninth grade wood shop. <laughs> You said that utility bench was around somewhere, or did you make the pump the pump light? Right. <laughs> <There was a, laughs> I, I think I I think I can figure it out. And so <laughs> he was gracious enough to let me build some of those apple crates and call them cabinets uh, for his houses, and I steadily improved. And yeah. by the end of the seventies, we were building about thirty homes a year, and I was his superintendent. And then we hit the uh, first great recession of my lifetime back in 78, 79, when inflation was rampant and uh, interest rates were going sky high. And and the building business just crashed because at 15% interest rate, people couldn't afford to buy houses. Those are the Jimmy Carter years. That that was the, I used to call it the Jimmy Carter recession. And, um, I've anyway, I won't go political, but uh. <laughs> I remember, I mean, I was just out of high school at that time. And I remember how, you know, it was just crazy how much inflation was there. And then didn't Gerald Ford come in next, I think, or it was, of course, Nixon was in between, right? Ford was before Carter. And uh, okay, that's so right. Carter was four years and then Reagan came in and that's right. Reagan came afterwards. Right? Those yeah. were, those were really hard times. I yeah. launched out on my own and, uh, hung out my sing my shingles so to speak uh, you know we'll work for food <laughs> <laughs> pay my bills so so did you start stop working for mr lang then at the time yes or was uh, that business sold yeah that his business just died and i had to feed my family so i right. managed to get a number of remodel jobs and i was ended up remodeling a big home for a dentist up in seattle hmm. And uh, that was fairly lucrative for me. And I had a number of employees. And then he introduced me to his friend who owned a dental supply company. And that led to me becoming a tenant improvement contractor building dental offices. Mm. And it was also during that time that I had my first introduction to laminate type cabinetry. And that little bit of experience served me well later on in the cabinet business. Right. Right. And you mentioned a number of employees. Who was your first hire? 
when you first got started with Belmont? Uh, well, I back in 79 and 80, I hired a kid that was in my youth group at, uh, at the church I was attending. Right. And, and then my brother-in-laws went to work for me, and I just started hiring different assistants uh, throughout the, the early 80s. Were most of the people actually building the cabinets at that time? Were those some of your first hires, or did you have to kind of fill out the executive suite, so to speak? Uh, well, there was no executive suite. Uh, it was me <laughs> and uh, one or two helpers, and we were building cabinets, or we were remodeling houses. And so I would uh, get up in the morning and spend a little bit of time in the Word, and then I'd yeah. go to work all day, and I'd come home and have dinner with my wife and the babies, and... And I'd do all my book work and sales work. Yeah. And I did that for 10, 15 years, just worked pretty much around the clock. <laughs> Go to bed and, and do it all over again. You know, were you kind of integrating faith and work at that time, at, at, at that stage of the company's life? Honestly, Brant, I didn't know what that word meant. Uh, yeah, I was just yeah. trying to feed my family. Sure. And sure. people have asked me through the years, well, what were your motivations and how'd you get into faith and work? And I said, my motivation was pure survival right. because right. I started working for these dentists, this, and this dental supply guy. And pretty soon my business ballooned up to seven or eight employees. And well, I had projects going all over Western Washington. And then I got the phone call from my attorney one morning mm. and he says, Steve, are you sitting down? And I go, oh, goodness. Yes. And he goes, did you read the newspaper this morning? I go, no, I don't get the paper. And he says, well, you better pick up a copy of today's Seattle Post Intelligencer because your dentist buddy is on the front page. Oh, goodness. He just got arrested up in Vancouver, British Columbia with a briefcase full of cocaine on him. Oh, gosh. Oh, goodness, goodness. So these, uh, these two guys that I was primarily working for were involved in a drug smuggling ring. Drug smuggling. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And uh, they had been, the FBI and the Drug Enforcement Agency had been uh, following them and wiretapping them yeah. because they were involved with organized crime. Wow. And my world came crashing down. We, yeah. They owed us at that time in 1981 over $100,000. Oh, goodness. And I never saw a dime of it. Yeah. Mm, tough. So what was the pivot at that time? That That's when the embers were, were smoldering uh, a little bit. Well, <laughs> yeah, God, God used that as a billows. I was full of pride yeah. and I thought I was God's gift to the world of business at 29 sure. years old. And right. uh, I remember sitting in a conference room with my attorney and my CPA and they said, Steve, you've just simply been had, and mm. we don't see any choice for you except to file bankruptcy. Wow. And there's just no other options. And I said, you know, I know that it doesn't look good, but I've been reading my Bible, and there's a verse in Philippians 4.19 that says, my God will supply all your need mm. according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not blaming God for the mess I'm in, but I'm going to rely on him to help me get mm. out of it. And mm. Mm. Uh, my dad taught me to be a man of my word. My word is my bond. 
And if it takes me the rest of my life, I'm going to pay all of these people back. And this attorney, you know, this condescending, you know, older to younger hmm. man said, son, 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 uh, your intentions are admirable, but that's just not the way the world works. Yeah, yeah. Within a month, you'll have a dozen lawsuits filed against you, and your life is going to become a living hell. Mm. And I said, sir, life's already a living hell. <laughs> and right. uh, maybe you're right. Maybe I will have to do this, but first I'm going to try it my way. Yeah. And my way was to write a letter and send it to every single person mm. I owed money to. Then I followed up with a personal visit or phone call and just ask them to be merciful. And give, give, give me some time. Give yeah. me time. Yeah. I said, I wasn't yeah. asking for a dime of discount. I would be willing to pay them every dime with interest as long as they let me do it on my terms. Right. But um, I had to be able to stay in business. And I had an elder, I was involved in a church, and one of the elders had built a successful trucking company. Mm. And I went out for coffee with him one night, and he said, and I explained the situation, and he said, Steve, here's what I've done in the past when I got in trouble financially is that I compartmentalized that debt, mm. and I put it in a bucket, and I went to all of my suppliers and said, please allow me to stay in business, and I promise I'll be current on everything current, and if you'll allow me to chip away at the bad debt. Right. And that's right. exactly what I did is yeah. I just – set the, all of these these bills in a bucket and i went and to every single supplier and just asked them for some grace and that and you met with each one personally every, every one of them and and how was it received well no one ever sued me i never had yeah. one lawsuit and wow. every single month for six and a half years every person i owed money to heard from me either yeah. in the form of a check or a phone call right the, the, the check if the money was available and the phone call if it wasn't. That's exactly right. <laughs> wow. And uh, it Fantastic. took six and a half years. I think it was 1987 Jeez. or 88, and we paid off the final bill. But wow. uh, it also, you know, it left an indelible mark on me. We were struggling financially. I, it set me back at least 10 years financially. But you built integrity and respect. And responsibility, right? I mean, I think that's one of the things that, you know, is lacking so much in business and, and why we're such a litigation society. I bet you're still doing business with some of those folks. I am. I'm doing business yeah. with a couple of those suppliers, yeah. one, of, one of which I do millions of dollars a year with on an unsecured open line of credit. Fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. And they've become good friends. Right. Right. But it was respect, also yeah. during that time I realized I... I I took responsibility for what happened. I knew yeah. that I was culpable and that I was naive and inexperienced. Right. And so I, I said, God, if you'll allow me to do this again, I promise I'll learn how to do business the right mm. way. So I took correspondence courses. This, mm. is, this is before computers. Right, uh, sure. uh, I took correspondence, college level courses in financial management and cash flow accounting and and uh, double entry accounting. And I learned business um, through correspondence. I would, yeah. I would do my, I would get a lesson. I would do my homework and I would send it in and they'd grade it and they'd send me another one. <laughs> um, 
but I taught myself business and, uh, you know, it has served me well. I've had served you well since I've had a financial statement in hand every single month for 40 years. Yeah. Right. Got to know where the got to know where the cash is. Well, let's talk a little bit about leadership. I know that uh, you you know built the company up to two hundred, and I know your sons are now growing that even further. What were some of those early leadership challenges you faced? Perhaps with some of those friends that you brought in early on, and you know what were some of the lessons learned during those days? Well, that is you you've um, struck on one of my regrets in life and business, and that is that. Through the early years, I did lose some friends because I hired friends mm. that I wanted to grow, wanted them to grow with me, but they just simply weren't capable of the mental and uh, personal and financial growth mm. that was needed. And eventually, I had to let those friends go, and yeah. in order to protect the business, one of the things I've had to learn is that the business is more important than any one individual. That you right. have to protect right. the whole. If you're not willing to protect the whole, then all of the rest of it doesn't matter because right. it won't be there. And and you also have to learn to protect your finances. Uh, we haven't been uh, intentionally laid on a bill since the mid '80s. Wow. Um, I also had to learn. I think that people ask me sometimes, "What was the toughest point in business?" And it was going from ten to twenty employees. Mm. because i I had to let go i had to learn to trust other people and other people won't ever do the job as well as you could do it or at least that way you think yeah (laughs) but i I had to release and and trust my managers and uh, production managers and trust them to do the job as well as they could and and except the fact that I wasn't going to make quite as much money on because I had to lay put in this layer of responsibility between me and the job. Right. Uh, so learning how to lead and delegate was very difficult. I've read hundreds of books on leadership. I've become a student of leadership really. Mm. Uh, so leadership for me is in, in, from my perspective is one having a vision and in creating a vision and an atmosphere that people want to follow. Any biblical principles that you apply when you when you think about how you lead people? Well, the book of Proverbs is is the best mm. uh, self help book ever written by anyone. <laughs> and uh, I make it a point to read the book of Proverbs at least once a year. Mm. And I've encouraged a lot of other people to do it, but. Just loving other, wisdom there. <laughs> lo- loving other people as yourself is yeah. it just works. And so to name a particular biblical principle, my whole life is built on that. And I'm not sure if I can well, I have to think about it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a very good one to be based on. And and you know what is the what does the workplace look like? I mean, do you have would you would you be considered a faith based business by those on the outside? Is is it that apparent, or is it more subtle in terms of you know what that looks like day to day at uh, at Pacific Crest or or you know any of the Belmont companies? I think it's more of a subtle. Uh, there is no such thing as a Christian company. Um, mm-hmm. There's only believers who run companies. 
And so I would hope that we reflect Jesus in everything we do. And that's my, mine and my son's goal is to reflect Jesus in the way we interact with employees, vendors, and customers, and the way we conduct ourselves by keeping our word, always paying our bills on time. We have a uh, corporate chaplain that uh, mm-hmm. two, two of them, a man and a woman who come every week and meet with our employees. And it's been mm-hmm. a great service to them. We have a Belmont, our, our Bell Family Foundation uh, and a Belmont Family Support System where our employees who get into financial difficulties, sometimes of their own making, sometimes not, but mm-hmm. we're there to help them financially. We are involved you know one of our core values is uh, is compassion and right. to whom much is given much is required and so we give back to a lot of activities or ministries around the local area and worldwide that uh, are trying to alleviate poverty and especially in the Puget Sound region we support several um, agencies or are um, ministries that are working with families in crisis, and um, as the as the uh, company also very much involved, you know, in the community from a, a social standpoint, or or is that essentially the the the, the company's foundation? Well, I, I my my first response to that is we make our payroll, <laughs> right. Right. That's that's the primary obligation. That's a pretty important way to serve our community is meeting our payroll. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And paying our taxes. And uh, we're good corporate citizens in our and our the city we're in loves us and uh, and we're expanding within the city and they're just uh, they'll do anything for us. Uh, So it's really about how do we treat our employees? We try to create a culture of fun. Fun is one of our core values. We -hmm. want people to enjoy themselves when they're at work. And um, how do you go about, you know, finding the the right people for the company? You know, the the folks that you invest in and hire, you know, is there certain qualities that you look for? I know you're kind of out of the day to day now and your sons are more involved in that. But, you know, as you were bringing people in over the years, you know, what was kind of some of the tells or some of the things that you look for when you were trying to really build out that company culture? Well, right now, it's very difficult to hire people. Uh, we're in a very uh, stressful environment where the government uh, unemployment benefits have really, really hurt employment because yeah. people can yeah. make more money sitting at home than they can coming to work. Right. So until that changes, it's going to be very difficult. And also the state of Washington... Uh, legalized marijuana, and we used to have a pretty stringent drug testing, pre-employment drug testing, and we found right. we couldn't get anyone to work for us, so we had to relax on the marijuana mm. aspect. Uh, but it's been really difficult to hire. But first and foremost, we hire, at, at least at the executive or at the uh, management level, we hire for attitude mm. and then aptitude. And then actual experience is really the least ex- important to us. If they have the right type of attitude and, a, and an aptitude for learning, we can teach them the business. We have right. our own Belmont University there where our employees are allowed to go through that 
at their pace and we'll teach them the entire industry from stem to stern mm. uh, because you can't hire trained people in our industry. There, there, mm. there aren't, uh, they aren't out there. We have to train them ourselves. So we've taken right. on that responsibility of, of training employees. Yeah. And uh, how long does that training program typically last? Or is it something that goes on? It's a one year. It's a a one year Mm -hmm. and uh, with one or two classes every week. And we have teachers and we have curriculums. We have a leadership uh, program that was a a new leadership program that was just launched this last week for those who are desiring to be in leadership at Belmont. Uh, They're encouraged to take this course in uh, using a, a number of Patrick Lencioni's books oh, yeah. mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Um, give them a foundation for what we expect out of leadership. One of the things that I learned a long time ago was a, a thing called alignment of values, uh, that without alignment of values, there's no chance of success in any business. And right. it almost doesn't matter what those values are, but they have to be aligned You've got drug dealers who have alignment of values and their businesses seem to be successful. Right. And at Belmont, our, our first uh, course of action was to identify those values, which we did in the early 2000s. And then we needed to align those values with, number one, our employees. And that's when I started doing pre-employment drug testing and we lost a third of our employees in our shop within the first year and we replaced them with better people yeah and then we applied that same standard to our vendors do our vendors align with our values and we had to fire several of our vendors and get find new suppliers with people that and companies that um aligned with our values and then finally we went to our customer base and we ended up firing about 25% of our customers. <laughs> wow, you don't hear that every day. <laughs> uh, and that was the start of our greatest growth spurts in wow. the, starting in around 2001 or two. Once we got our values aligned with our employees, our vendors, and our customers, our growth took off like a rocket ship. Wow, isn't that something? Was the, was the customer alignment the hardest? Because it meant you had to basically say no to people that were paying you and, you know, obviously uh, allowing you to pay your employees. <laughs> it was, some of it was difficult. Some of it was yeah. really easy, though, because the ones that we weren't aligned with were the ones that weren't paying us. <laughs> yeah, <they're, laughs> that's an easy, that's an easy call, isn't it? <laughs> or, it or if they were complaining, you know, one of the we talked about personal responsibility and yeah. when a customer, a, vin, a, a dealer of ours, we would sell our cabinets to a dealer. Right. A dealer would then in turn sell them to an end user. And when the dealer is not willing to take responsibility for their actions and their mm. design flaws and put it all back on us, then we knew we didn't have an, uh, an alignment fit. And those are the right. types of dealers and customers that we released saying yeah, that we yeah. just can't do business with you. And, right. Um, right. and so those are the, are, we have independent and salaried and our employed sales staff all over the country. But those are the criteria when we look at new customers, we really look at, try to 
identify their value systems and their credit systems and and right. how professional they are in their business um, and we've we've upped the ante so to speak and it's actually gotten a lot better you know you talked about um, attitude aptitude and, and experience and then obviously training the people at experience that's through belmont university you know aptitude i guess is a lot to do about their qualifications but how do you kind of get to the the types of questions or what kind of questions do you ask Steve to, to really get at that aptitude what, or the attitude rather, what, you know, what, what, what have you found most helpful in terms of sorting the, the, the wheat from the chaff in terms of sorting the, the, the wheat from the chaff, so to speak? Well, maybe some of those questions HR approved, so to PC. speak. PC. <laughs> That's okay. But I, I asked, I just get people to talk about themselves and talk about yeah. their childhood and how they were raised right. and, and frame the questions in such a way that it doesn't really sound like a question. I, I, get, mm. I want people to talk about the things that they really enjoy doing and the things that motivate them and drive them. And uh, what did your parents teach you when you were growing up that yeah. had the biggest impact in your life? Those types of questions. Right. Now, right. we don't we don't discriminate uh we we want a diverse uh group of employees we mm -hmm. yeah uh we we really want to elevate women and and uh people of color and and but and we have every race creed religion faith in our company and they all are respected one of our core values is respect yeah. everybody deserves to be treated with respect and we put a lot of effort into trying to help anyone who wants to advance in the company we want to help them well listen you've been very generous with your time steve we always have a couple of questions uh, to, to to ask of of all our featured ceos and you know obviously we kind of starting where we are ending where we started you know the the pandemic we seem to be going into year two i mean vaccinations now seem to be i think it's what over 154 million now that we're recording this in in uh, mid-may um we're getting cdc's you know saying that we can no longer we don't have to wear masks for those that are vaccinated etc you've had of course a tremendous pent-up demand you know how do you see kind of the, the the world moving forward with us do you think this is going to be something that will continue to be with us and continue to have impacts on the business or do you see it kind of like a a storm that has come through and now we're coming out of it uh, to the other side what's your perspective well i wish i had a crystal ball which i don't <laughs> uh, i think that we it was a it was a storm that came and blew through and mm but it's going to take a good year or so to uh, still to come out of it the the damage to the supply chain worldwide has just yeah, been yeah. severe uh every every Aussie, yes. single industry yeah. in the world has been impacted um we're not the only ones our we're, right. we're we're plugged in with cabinet suppliers and cabinet manufacturers all around the country and every single one of them are the major cabinet companies are having the exact same struggles same we're having. Yeah. We're not yeah. unique. Yeah. Everyone's uh, having to raise prices. Everybody's struggling to get products. Um, we have an, a large European supplier that just basically told us don't order anymore until next year. Well, that means that wow. we have to tell our customers we can't sell you this product anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it'll pass. 
but mm. there's uh, there's been a lot of collateral damage in the process. Yeah. A lot of work on the supply chain. Yeah, I, I hear that from so many CEOs, Steve. It's 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 true. It's really almost every industry has had that impacting because of you know factories, right, and where things are made, and and how people have to change around their uh, their whole uh, supply chain and, and what that looks like. Lastly, what you know, we've got a lot of younger listeners on the show. Uh, you've had a a career that's you know spanned four decades, and some of them aren't even that old yet. Um, what kind of career and life advice would you give to someone who maybe has their eyes on the corner office, wants to be an entrepreneur like themselves, and you know b- build a business uh, or build a family legacy like you're doing today? Wow, that's a loaded question, isn't it? That's a lot. There. <laughs> Save the best um, one for last. Steve. <laughs> You know, I was just uh, talking about this with some young people, yes, in the last weekend, that first and foremost, get yourself off the throne of your life. And it's others, it's God, and it's others, and it's you. And live a life of complete transparency and integrity. Let your yeas be yeas and your nays be nays. And know that when you speak, People can trust what you say. People want to do business with people they trust. And if you are trustworthy in your family, with your spouse, with your children, and they see this transparency that you're the real deal, it will go a long ways in when you get into business. And you're the same person in business that you are at home and that you are at church and you are on the weekend. The same person, transparent all the way through. Do what you say you're going to do, when you say you're going to do it, and you will uh, be in the top 2% of all businesses right there. Well, Steve Bell, owner and chief executive officer of Pacific Crest Industries, as well as the Belmont Cabinet Company, thank you so very much for sharing your journey into the corner office. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.